Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have with me Brian Dean of Backlinko, a website dedicated to help you take your SEO to the next level. Welcome. Hey, good to be here, George. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Brian. Uh, uh, can you tell me what you did before starting uh, Backlinko.com? Sure. Well, way before I started, so about four and a half years ago, I was just on the track to graduate from graduate school and get a job and all that stuff. But it didn't really work out that way, which ended up being great because basically I was in graduate school doing research. So I was spending a lot of time in a lab with no windows. It was basically awful. So I, I left. And when I left, I intended to get a job. So I wasn't just going to leave and be a bum. But I ended up being a bum because I couldn't find a job. This is in 2008, like the height of the recession. It was very difficult to find work. So just kind of hanging out in my parents' basement, applying to jobs, and yeah, not doing very much with my life. And I went to the bookstore one day and I came across the four hour work week which is a great book that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with by Timothy Ferris. And it's basically yeah, a book that is very accessible for people to become entrepreneurs. And it, and it teaches you ways that you can basically control your time, control your life. And the brunt of it is starting a business. So after I read the book, I started a, a business that didn't go very well. So I did something else that didn't go very well. And over so, but before we go on, yeah, what, sure. what didn't go very well? Can you give me a little bit sure. of detail? No problem. So I launched an information product about nutrition, and I had why time, nutrition? Uh, that was something that I was interested in. That's what I studied in in college. Okay. And I felt like there was a market for people that were interested in it. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, yeah, I, I launched a product and it, it didn't do well. I had everything in place. I had a product. I had a sales funnel. I had split testing. I had a landing page. I had a copywriter write the page. I had graphics. I had everything, but it didn't have any traffic. And at the time, I was sort of naive because it was my first site, and I didn't understand how you really do need to put traffic first. Traffic is the lifeblood of your business. So then I realized I didn't know how to get traffic and that's what kind of led me into learning more about SEO because that was a way at the time, at least, that was very easy to get traffic. And this was around 2008 or just after? Yeah, this is like 2008, 2009. And so this this business failed or, or what happened with yeah, it as you were learning about failed. SEO? Yeah, it basically failed. I was learning about SEO, but... Um, it takes time to to learn SEO and do SEO, even if at the time it was a little bit uh, on the easier side. So after that didn't work out, I had been spending a lot of time on internet marketing forums to try to learn how to market this product. And while I was there, I noticed a lot of conversations about niche sites and creating smaller niche sites that were very, very easy to rank in Google and you can monetize them using Google AdSense. So I decided to, to start try that. It seemed easier than the whole information product thing. And it was more of a passive income uh, opportunity, which is what I was interested in at the time, not realizing that, you know, you have to have a real business to have real passive income. Mm -hmm. So I launched mm -hmm. all these sites. At one point, it's crazy, George. I had like 175 sites. Yeah, I read something around 200 on your blog. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, you know. yeah one, <laughs> I don't know exactly how many it got up to, but I have the spreadsheet somewhere. But it's basically, yeah, like 200, let's say 175. Not, maybe it wasn't quite 200, but it was, it was not too far from that. And yeah, it's 200 sites. And, and there's sites in the sense that they're one page. They're not really websites, right? They're like one page uh, websites that don't really add any value. And mm -hmm. because they were exact match domains, which means the keyword was in the domain name, 
they ranked really well. And then basically Panda came along and that wiped all of that out overnight. Okay. Panda pay, killed it. And yeah. that, when was that? 2000... uh, 2010 in okay. February. Oh, you even remember the month, so that <laughs> the Panda day? update was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's a day. It's the first big update by Google. That really. I remember that. I mean, I remember some major, um, you know, all these major article sites that lost like eighty, ninety percent of their, you know, traffic in like one one update. Right, right, and that that's why it's so memorable. It's kind of like where were you that day? You know what I mean? It's like where yeah. did Google Panda happen? I remember when I. I was in Hong Kong. I was living in Hong Kong in my apartment. I remember looking at my stats and I'm thinking, what happened? And then when I go online, there's all this talk about the farmer update, which is what it was called when it first came out. And then mm -hmm. they changed it to Panda. And that was a day that Google started to go on the offensive and stopped putting up with people, kind of taking advantage of the first page of Google. Okay. So what happened then? I mean, do you, how did you feel? Did you feel like a loser when this happened or you felt like, well, you know, no big deal. I'll move on to something else. Yeah, I felt kind of like, I felt not so much a loser. I felt stupid. stupid. I felt stupid. Yeah. I felt like, you know, as tempting it, as it was, I was stupid to do it because at the time I was making, uh, I was supporting myself because these sites weren't really making that much money with freelance writing. And mm -hmm. making good money from that. My only issue with freelance writing is that it wasn't passive, and I had to, you know, do it myself, and it wasn't really scalable. My my income was based on how much I could sit in a chair and bang out articles, basically. Um, so, so your income, if you had to, what percentage of your income was from writing, and what percentage came from the niche sites? It was probably eighty percent writing. Or seventy percent writing, yeah, something like that. And then after the wipe, the wipeout, it was like ninety-nine percent. Oh wow! So I was pretty okay. much starting from square one. So you never really made sites with the niche sites. It was pretty much just doing a lot of these things, but it never really resulted. Even before Panda, any results? No, I mean I got results in the sense that I was ranking for some things, but I never really had a good income. I, I, it's funny because. Uh -huh. Everyone talks about the good old days when you could just spam sites to the top and make tons of money. And now that SEO is hard, I do a lot better. <laughs> when it was okay. easy, I struggle. You know, it's just, but it's funny I, how that works, isn't it? I think <laughs> I think because it was it was it was so easy that it was actually hard because the competition was crazy because of, there was no barrier to entry. You know what I mean? Anyone could create a two hundred sites. It sounds like a lot, but it's actually quite easy. It's I remember one softwares, site. right? I remember softwares that would like create all these one-page sites, you know, like yeah. at a quick on a click of a button almost. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they, they would. I had a plug, WordPress plugin that would automatically set up your privacy policy, terms of service, about page. <laughs> it was crazy, you know. But that's the problem: is that it was so easy that it was just flooded with people. It was very difficult. And after Penguin, it kind of wiped out a lot of those people. Uh, those people aren't in the game anymore. So it's, I found it's easier to rank today than ever. So how did your mind shifted after you, know, you realized, you know, this is not the way to go, yeah. especially now that Panda happened? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you pretty much have to be writing to make any money because the sites are just not producing the revenue that you want. How did, how did your mind shift change at that point? Well, George, I would love to tell you that I had an epiphany and I realized that that was not a good approach, but I didn't learn my lesson fully because after that, 
I, instead of building out know, 200 sites, my new thing was building like five or eight smaller mm-hmm. sites. They're not, uh, they weren't one page, but let's say there are five being generous, five page mm-hmm. sites, all going after a single keyword. And that's what I did after that. And that still didn't do that well in terms of making money, but it did better than the 200 sites. And one, and then Penguin pretty much wiped those out. But right before Penguin, I actually started another project where I saw, I saw the writing on the wall. And Penguin, for those of you listening, it was in uh, 2012, I think it was March or mm-hmm. April. Maybe it was April, April 2012. I kind of saw the writing on the wall. So I started to create one legit property. And I thought that one day this whole niche site thing is not going to work anymore. It's too many people. Panda happened two years ago. They haven't done really anything since. And sure enough, that's what happened. Um, and yeah, it pretty much wiped out those properties. But then I had this other one sort of waiting in the wings for that day. And that was a blessing in disguise that Penguin happened for me because of, then I could put all my resources into that site. And then once I started working on that site and creating a legit site, things started working out. Now, what was that site and what were the legit, what, what made it legit? Yeah, well, I can't reveal the site, um, but, okay. but I can say that it's, it's in a niche that's kind of like considered a, a little bit boring. Okay. And what made it legit was that whenever I published something on the site, I tried to make it the best resource on that keyword that was online. That was and the goal for everyone. What kind of content did you, did you build to make it the, a resource? So I did infographics. I did uh, videos. I did reviews of products in that space. I did kind of ultimate guides practical guides mm-hmm. and I would hire people on Elance and other freelance sites when I, when I didn't have time to try the products to actually there to actually try the products take pictures review online all that stuff so I was really mm-hmm. trying my goal was really to try to provide a ton of value for people in a in a space where there wasn't a lot of great stuff out there now is it like you created maybe 50 good pages or is it in the hundreds of pages? Uh, how much work did it take to, to turn this into a real valuable site? It, it took a lot of work, but it didn't take that much time. So it started earning money. It started earning $10,000 a month four months after it launched. So it was like mm-hmm. blank WordPress installation to to 10000 a month in four months using, I think the site at the time had like 25 or 30 and now it has 55. So it's not like you had to build a thousand pages of awesome content. I mean, no. that sounds pretty doable to me. Yeah, I don't think you can create a thousand pages of awesome content. I mean, uh, you can create a thousand pages of good content. But, mm-hmm. for example, like a product review, someone has to try the product, give, you know, give it a real try, and then think about how they're going to review it, and then write the review, take pictures, give their feedback, maybe some suggestions. It's a lot of work for one. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what's the or, – or if you're going to do an ultimate guide, you need to think like, all right, where are – what's out there already? What are the, the gaps that people aren't talking about? Or how can I take everything that's out there, put it in one place to make it easier? So take all the best information, put it in one place. It's a lot of work, and you really can't scale that and – maintain the quality it's impossible and and how did you and the revenue was from affiliates or did you have direct sales on it, it or do you yeah offers okay okay yeah and how did you stumble upon this uh this niche 
Well, I started with CPA. So one of the ways that I do niche research and the one that I recommend to most people is to go to sites like OfferVault.com and mm-hmm. Odigger.com, which are kind of like CPA offer directories. So the, the, the hard part about doing CPA marketing is that there's hundreds of different networks that all have different offers, and it's hard to figure out what, what's going on. So with these sites, they aggregate all the information in one place. So you can go to, let's say, OfferVault and type in a keyword like weight loss, and you can see all the offers related to weight loss. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you can put in anything, money, uh, business, and you can see what people are offering in terms of CPAs. And I find that there's a, if there's a CPA offer that has been around for a while and it pays well, it's a niche that's profitable because people are paying for that traffic basically in a, in a different way than Google AdWords. And uh, mm-hmm. a more like I'm willing to put a lot of money in this traffic because it's CPA. So once you see some CPA offers, it's a good first sign to be like maybe – this is a niche I should go into. So we hear a lot about content creation, that it's a real must. But can you talk a little bit about content promotion as it relates to this niche site? What were you doing um, you know, to basically drive that traffic now, now that you had that great content? I was doing a lot of outreach. So I was basically finding blogs that weren't direct competitors because this space is very competitive. If you ever email someone in the top – 10 that you're also trying to rank for, they'll ignore you. It's not like, uh, I call them hippie niches. You have some mm-hmm. hippie niches where people are more likely to share your stuff around. You know, like I uh, found health and fitness and green energy and mommy blogs. They're not so hardcore competitive. They're more like, hey, we'll share each other's stuff, which is actually cool. I wish more industries were like that. But in this space, it's not like that. It's kind of like insurance where good luck getting a competitor to ever, you know, pay you any mind. So, what I would do is I look for sites that were related but not direct competitors. So let's say for like in the, if it was in the SEO space, I wouldn't go at, uh, to other SEO blogs. I would go to small business sites because they also talk about SEO because SEO is a topic mm-hmm. that's important to small business owners. So I did basically the same thing. I kind of took a slight step to the left and found niches there a slight step to the right and found niches there that were very closely related but not directly. And because they don't get pitched a lot um, from people in my space, they were very receptive to linking and sharing and all that stuff. So when you reached out, would you send them an email and say, hey, I'm Brian, I have this article that I think would be useful for your audience or what was your, what was your approach? Yeah, it, it wasn't that different. There are some nuances there. But basically what I did is I, I found pages where my link would make sense. And that's where a lot of people go wrong with outreach is that they think that you could just email someone, put your content in front of them, and then they're going to link to you. If you're, going to, if you're just promoting your content in the sense that you just want to get it in front of people, you can do that. You can just find people who might be interested. Like, for example, this interview, we could find people who are affiliate marketers or an SEO, right, and then reach out to those people. The problem is they might see it and maybe tweet it out, but they're not going to be they're not going to link to it unless they really are impressed by it. So when you do link-based outreach, you need to first find pages where your links make sense. And a great resource to use are resource pages, which are pages that are basically a list of links. And they're kind of old school, but a lot of sites on the, on the web have them, and they're usually pretty authoritative because they're kind of your content curation. They curate 
some of the best content. So if you have something that deserves to be there and you let the persons know in a very soft and non-pushy way, a lot of times they'll add your link. Now, how much time do you think is reasonable if you have one website to spend on outreach? Um, you know, let's say on a weekly basis, how many hours did you spend? How many, is it a 50 or 100 emails that you sent out? What is, what is reasonable? Yeah, I think it's hard to answer that question because it depends on the business and the goals. But I would say at a bare minimum, you want to spend five or six hours doing outreach a week. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people will be like, oh, five or six hours, I don't have that much time. But the thing is, people spend that much time editing their content that no one's ever going to see. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So I feel like you're better off putting the creating one great resource and then spending the extra time that you that you usually spend moving on to the next post or the next article and promoting what you just published. Okay. And that site is still a revenue producing site for you? Yes. Now, do you have any other sites that you try the same thing with or or you just don't have time or you're happy with where you are now. Yeah, I'm happy where I am now because that site is is not even a, on my radar screen anymore because I've just been focusing on building back Linko. Okay, all right. So let's uh, let me ask you. I've been reading through uh, Backlinko and I, I ran through some pretty interesting content, but there are a couple of things that I, I really wanted to ask you. And you have uh, back in December of 2013, you had a post called "The Five Lessons Learned from One Million Search Engine Visitors." Yeah. And I actually been thinking about that that article a lot and. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about some important lessons like uh, work on one site, which you already talked about. And um, in the same article, you also talk about quality versus quantity. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we kind of got the idea from all the websites, you know, like 170 niche sites as opposed to one site, mm -hmm. but also with the content. And you said, you know, you have about, you know, maybe 50 pages that is very good or not even that many. Mm -hmm. That's great content. Um, but what does it take? today in 2014 to get 1 million search engine visitors to any site? Let's say if I'm starting a site now, what, what is reasonable for me or for my business to, to get and what, what, what kind of work do I have to put into it? Well, it's, it's a ton of work. Um, it's mm -hmm. hard to be like, it'll take 1,158 hours, you know what I mean? It's impossible mm -hmm. to say that because it depends on your niche, uh, how you spend that time. So there's some luck involved. Without. Luck involved. Yeah, okay. there's some luck involved. You know, with Backlinko, I had a lot of lucky breaks. I will tell you that. You know, the site has, I've had a few bad things happen. Like the site was down a couple times, and you know, some bad bad luck things. But for the most part, I've had a lot of lucky breaks that have helped me a lot. And I'm not a, not afraid to say that. A lot of people who have a site that's successful, you know, say it's because of hard work and I was smart in my plan. But I say it, luck is a big part of it. But you know, George, you make your own luck. And the, yeah. the more outreach you do, I found the more good things happen. So yeah. can you give me a couple of those lucky breaks this, this, so we can understand them? Yeah, sure, no problem. So in March of 2013, so not so long after I wrote that post, I, had, I was taking a blogging course, which was not bad. I don't want to mention here because I don't think it's even that good. But there was one piece of advice that was great, and it was every day you should email two people and just let them know that you enjoy their stuff. Um, it should look, obviously be people that you actually read, right? So blogs in your space you read or journalists that you like, their news, whatever. 
But the idea was that if you just email enough people and you really put yourself out there, good things will happen. So it's not really like if you send out 10 emails, you get one guest post invite or one link or one tweet. It's more just like good things happen when you do that. And the first one I ever sent out was to Neil Patel. And I basically told him I loved his site because I really legitimately did. And at the time, I had a post on there, which is my latest one, called The Definitive Guide to Guest Blogging. And I put a ton of work into it. It was like 3,000 words. And when I emailed him, I guess he looked at my email address, which is at backlinko.com, and he went to it and saw the post and tweeted it out. And then I was like, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And then he noticed that I talked a lot about link building, and he wanted to do this advanced guide to link building on Quicksprout. So he, he asked if I could help him do it. And I did. So, and that led to a great relationship with Neil, who's just an awesome guy um, in general, but also an important person to know in the internet marketing space. And it was a lot of luck because I'm sure if I caught him on a day where he was crazy busy or he saw my message, you know, while he was dry, like uh, as a passenger in a car or he was crossing the street and he would have just been like, yeah, thanks. You know what I mean? But he, mm -hmm. that day he decided for whatever reason to visit my site and it was good luck. Uh, there's no yeah, way you know it's funny that you say it's luck because I would see how a lot of people would think that's luck, but I don't see that luck as a, at all. I mean, I agree it's some luck because he might have been sick that day or just right. you know had a bad day or just just too busy to deal with it. So in that sense, it's luck. But if you didn't wake up that morning when you wrote that email and you were lazy, then there would have been no luck. So it's, it's, it's funny how you said that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a combination, right? It's, it's like Jay-Z said, when you play with skill, good luck will happen. Yeah. So I feel like yeah. the more things, or, or uh, the more you practice, the more luck yeah. you have, right? Or the harder we, you work, the, the, the luckier you get, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. So it's the same idea. that I don't think it's really laziness that prevents people from sending those emails, it's fear. Mm -hmm. that the person's going to reject them in some way. And, but you realize that if, as long as you're legitimate, people are very appreciative of messages yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Like I knew I, I had commented on Neil's blog. I read almost everything on his site. So it wasn't just like I did a Google search for like SEO blogs and emailed people saying I love their stuff. You know, it was someone that I really did respect. And I think people can sense that from how you approach them. And, and two a day sounds very doable, too. I, I, I think you can honestly reach out to two people, and right? It's a lot, man, because if you do two a day, five days a week, that's uh, 10. That's, that's 500 a year. 500 right? and if you take two weeks off, right? I mean, that's right. pretty impressive to have 500 new connections. And even at a 1% conversion rate, you could get five, five times you could get lucky in a year, right? Yeah. So that's not bad at all. No, no, it's not bad at all. And, and there's no downside except it takes... Uh, two seconds to send that, especially because the people that you've been reaching out to are super busy, right? So it doesn't take that long to write a message. You're literally just like, I just want to say, I really like what you're doing over at whatever site, you know, keep up the great work. How long does that take? Um, it's the same thing with blog commenting. Blog commenting is an awesome way to get, you know, on people's radar screens and actually to siphon some traffic away from really popular sites. It doesn't take very long, but it's hard to say I'm going to do two every single day, but it's really beneficial. Yeah.
Yeah. You know, after I read that article that you wrote in uh, December that I brought up, uh, you know, I, it made me think that I don't know if you take requests, but, you know, I would love to read maybe a, a study or an article mm-hmm. about comparing getting one million visitors to a website through SEO versus pay-per-click. Because, you know, pay-per-click is rising all the time. You know, I mean, I... I've heard of people paying $30, $40 per click. And, you know, to get a million clicks through that, that would be super expensive compared to getting a million visitors through, through SEO. So, I mean, anyway, I just, I, I just kind of thought of that. Well, and I appreciate it, man. I don't, I don't take requests per se, but I always welcome <laughs> feedback. I'm not like a DJ, but I, yeah. welcome, but I welcome feedback like that. I, the thing is, the only reason I wouldn't write that is because I think everyone, I think a lot of people realize already that SEO is a better long-term investment. And I feel like um, less people are using AdWords because it's just, Mm -hmm. like you said, man, it's almost impossible to get a positive ROI from AdWords. You just have to, you basically need a loss leader. Mm -hmm. You need to basically lose money on the first sale and then make it up on the back end. And for most businesses, that just doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like if you sell toasters, you can't sell them a cheap toaster and then a year or two later, you know, get them to buy a toaster oven. The businesses that are doing well with AdWords do that. You know, they lose a little money on the toaster, but they have their contact information, all that stuff, and then they upsell them later, a year later or whatever. Just doesn't make sense for 99% of the businesses out there. So if you want traffic, you know, SEO is no joke, but it's a lot, lot better than Google AdWords, not even remotely close. And I feel like the people that read my site are pretty aware of that. I hope so, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, now with all this social media... Um, you know, talk. Um, do you have um, an idea of what percentage of your traffic should come from search engines like Google, Yahoo, Bing, and what percentage should come from social? Is is there is there such a metric at all? Yeah, I've heard people have metrics, but I just don't buy it for the simple reason that it's very niche dependent. You know, if your site is about life insurance how are you going to get people from Pinterest to come to your site? And if you get people magically from social media to your site, um, how are they going to, are they going to convert? Are these people that are actually looking for life insurance? Or how about if you had a site about helping people with hemorrhoids, you think they're going to tweet out how much they love your site about hemorrhoids or share on Facebook? Of course not. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to get social media traffic to a site like that? It's just, you could, yeah, or a, you could or a bankruptcy uh, attorney, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. how many people will, will like a bankruptcy attorney page? <laughs> or, this guy did a great job for my family. Thank you very much. Exactly, and publicly <laughs> tell everyone, yeah, I'm bank- I, want, I filed for bankruptcy. This guy was great. It makes yeah. sense. So there's, I'd say, a lot of niches, not all of them. Just social is just might as well not exist. Because the thing is, a lot of people will – Say, well, okay, you're a bankruptcy attorney. So what you do is create some cute viral thing about bankruptcy or statistics about bankruptcy, right? This is not a bad idea. Like do an infographic about how bankruptcy is increasing and the pitfalls and all that stuff. The problem with that is that, yeah, you might get some social media traffic that way, but they're not going to convert because they're not really interested in filing for bankruptcy. You know what I mean? The people that are Mm going to actually become customers, which is what this thing is all about, is they're going to type in bankruptcy attorney London, bankruptcy attorney Boston, find mm-hmm. a site, read a little bit about the guy or girl, and then you know, then, yeah. then go there. Social doesn't play any element uh, of the game. And I think that Google, it doesn't matter. Uh, Google doesn't use social signals very much, I don't think, anyway. 
Um, mm -hmm. So it doesn't even help for SEO. So yeah, it's hard to say like you should have this percentage, but I think in general you want search as low as possible as a percentage because it's not very stable. There's just penalties that could hit you know, your site or an update could, could make one strategy you're using less effective and all of a sudden you drop. Um, there's the best traffic you can get is from direct, so people that type in your URL into their browser because then you don't need a middleman, uh, an email list, which is very stable, right? As long as you're providing mm -hmm. value, people aren't, aren't going to unsubscribe, and referral traffic, which is the best source of draft traffic online. You get links from other blogs and forums and other places on the web, and people go through those links. They're usually a little bit pre-sold because usually around the link it says this is a great resource, and it's much more stable because it's diversified over hundreds of different places, not just one, which is Google. So I feel yeah. like you should get that as low as possible. As much as I'm an SEO guy, I'm going to be real and just say that. Okay, appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Now, with so much information out there about, about SEO, how do we know who we can trust? I mean, I'm sure you read as well, even though you do have Backlinko, and obviously you're an expert at SEO, but who do you trust, and how, how do you know who to trust in terms of uh, the ever-changing world of SEO? It's hard, man, to be honest with you, to, even for me, to separate the wheat from the chaff sometimes. But one thing that's helped me is that I feel like my, I have this theory that in SEO you have kind of two stages of learning, right? So the first stage of SEO, you have to figure out what works. So what, what works? You know, does this work? Does that work? Do, is it tweets? Is it social signals? Is it authorship? Is it uh, Web 2.0 links? Is it blog comments? Is it publishing twice a day, right? So you have that. Once you sort of pass that stage, which you ultimately figure out what does work, which is basically really great um, content on your site, solid on-page SEO, uh, great keyword research, and then most importantly, high-quality links, then the question changes to how do I do that? That's a whole different element. So once you figure it out, it's like, well, how do I actually do that? Because it's one thing to know that to get to rank on the first page, you need to have great content with a lot of links, but how do you even get those links? Mm -hmm. When you start thinking like that, you automatically have eliminated most of the crap because they're not even talking about how to get that stuff, right? They're talking about maybe some outdated uh, tactics like article directories and things like that. And because you know what works, you can filter out all that, and then it becomes finding out who knows how to do it. And that is a tiny, tiny amount of people. Um, mm -hmm. because not, only, not only are there not many people who know, but of those, very few have blogs you know, in the SEO space, like Backlinko or Kaiser the Stage or Quicksprout or Point Black SEO that are revealing really good stuff. Most people kind of keep it in-house because they're SEO agencies that know this stuff. And they're okay. not able to give away their secret sauce on their blog. That's, that's good. Now, uh, for you, what are the most important metrics for SEO? What do you look at every day or maybe every month to know that you're on the right track? My focus is on traffic. So, you know, organic search engine traffic. So if that's moving in the right direction, I'm happy. Um, the second thing I look at is, of course, rankings. Okay. So Same a lot of, ranking. Okay. That's it, really. Because what else mm -hmm. is there? Um, if yeah. the, and the rankings are proportional to your traffic usually you know what I mean but in theory you could rank for nothing like no real high volume keyword and still get a ton of organic traffic from long tails right um, but 
for most people that doesn't that doesn't work out so um, I focus on traffic first and if that's moving up everything's fine and then I keep an eye on my rankings I keep an eye on, on rankings mostly to test stuff um, mm-hmm. so I can like make a change see what effect it might have had and then if I see that happen you know a number of times then I can be confident that that change makes a difference good or bad or otherwise you know what I mean but if you don't look at rankings like a lot of people feel like they're too cool to look at rankings um, I don't know why but they feel like it's this old-fashioned thing to do, um, then you don't you don't learn a lot, you know. Because if you make a change on your site and you go from three to eight on on the first page, that could be a great learning lesson. And if you don't check your rankings and you just look at traffic, yeah, you you wouldn't learn that. What tools do you use to check your rankings and also your traffic? Well, traffic is Google Analytics. Okay, that's the best. And for uh, checking rankings, I use Authority Labs. Authority Labs? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Now, uh, we used to hear about link building all the time, and there were all kinds of these you know, link farms and everything else, but is link building still relevant in 2014? And if it is, what is one way a, a business owner could start today? Well, it's definitely relevant. It's, it's, in, in many ways, it's more relevant now. Um, because Google's able to separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of links, like they know one link is quality and another link isn't, getting that quality link can really help. And uh, especially because it's all about quality over quantity. And depending on what keywords you're going after and how competitive things are, a handful of links can rank you really highly for super competitive keywords. So link building is definitely still relevant and something that I definitely recommend that everyone does as long as they do it very white hat. And one strategy, besides the resource pages, which I alluded to earlier, that business owners can use or business owners can also outsource this very easily to someone on their staff or an intern, is broken link building, which is basically where you find broken links on a site. And you can do that really easily using a tool called Check My Links for Chrome, which is free. And you can see on a page how many broken links there are and what links are broken. And then reach out to that person, let them know about the broken link, and then offer your resource as a replacement. And because you're not just pitching them your resource, which, as I said earlier, can work, um, you're also helping them by making their site a little bit better, by removing some broken links. Uh, the conversion rate is really, really good. Great. Is there anything that you think is very important to share with our audience in terms of SEO uh, maybe something that we haven't covered, but you think is really, really important for them to know? Yeah, I think we talked about, we didn't emphasize how important it is not to update your site all the time, just for the sake of updating all the time. Uh, there's this belief that Google cares about freshness and how much you update your site, but in my experience, that makes zero difference. And in fact, I'm just writing an ebook right now, actually, and to make the point in the ebook, I looked at my Google Analytics for the last two months. It's been almost two months since I published anything at Backlinko because I spent a lot of time promoting what I already had. And my traffic went up like 15% over the last two months, organic search engine traffic over the last two months, even though I haven't published anything. And a lot of people would think that it would go down, um, but it actually went up because I spent that time just taking what I had and getting the most out of that. So would you say that there is a point of diminishing returns in terms of content creation and that after that point it's really a lot more about outreach and promotion yeah I would I would say I mean it's hard to say because it depends on 
what industry the person's in, but if you have a blog, for example, I think there's diminishing returns if you update more than once every two weeks. And some of the biggest the blogs that do really well, they only update once a month or once every three weeks, um, especially when you're first starting out because no one knows who you are and no one reads your stuff, so you're just publishing to nobody. So you're better off spending, you know, publishing once every three weeks and then spending that time promoting it because anything after that, you're going to get crazy diminishing returns because no one's even seeing your content in the first place. It's a great point. You know, it's, uh, I never heard anybody say that, but it really makes sense to me uh, that what you just said about content. and Because, I mean, we do hear about sometimes people say, you know, you can't have too much new content on your website and all this. And sometimes people, I think, stop blogging just for that fact, you know, that it is just too much, too much work for them, you yeah. know. Yeah, you're right. A lot, most blogs fail. It's sad. And a lot of them fail, and it's really sad because people put a lot of work into them, and they put their heart and soul into it, and, and it's hard to see them fail. But the reason they're failing is because they're playing to an empty room. You know, they're just publishing to, to no one. No one's ever reading it. It's like, have you ever said, oh, I love this site. They update once a week. It's great. No, of course not, because that's not something that's even valuable. You know, there's plenty of content out there to keep us busy, but there's very little amazing stuff. Um, but if, you, if you're the one that produces that amazing stuff, your competition will have a chance, trust me. Well, that was really a, a lot of great information, Brian. Um, how, can, um, how can people connect with you? Um, do you have anything that's going on that's the, that people should know about at this point? Well, I have, you should definitely head over to backlinko.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's definitely the best way to get the inside scoop about what's happening on the site and some strategies that I don't talk about on the blog. So that's what I would recommend that people do after they listen to this interview. Okay, so you, you heard a man. Go to backlinko.com. Uh, again, thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate you taking the time and teaching us about uh, your business and, and SEO. Sure. Thanks for having me, George. Thank you.